Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in. Polo's belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services out of Clements, Maryland. HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Today's guest, one of the most successful Americans in the history of motorsports. He's one of only two drivers to have won races in Formula One, IndyCar, the World Sports Car Champion, and NASCAR. During his career, he won the 1978 Formula One World Championship, four IndyCar titles, and IROC six. To date, he remains the only driver ever to win the Indianapolis 500, 1969, Daytona 500, 1967, and the Formula One World Championship, 1978. He was the only person to be named United States Driver of the Year in three decades, 1967, 1978, and 1984. With his final IndyCar win in April 1993, he became the first driver to have won IndyCar races in four different decades and the first to win races of any kind in five decades. He competed in 879 races and had 111 wins. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, the one and only Mario Andretti. Here's Mike Wallace. Well, Mario, I, I don't think there's much more to say. I guess are we done now? Because that's that, what what an intro that is. Well, thank you very much. Uh, obviously, it brings back memories just when you're talking, uh, which is good. You know, it's uh, it's all positive, and uh, obviously fortunate to be able to say that. But um, as you can see, I mean, the sport has been my life ever since that uh, I was able to reason. Uh, I wanted to be a race driver, and uh, and I don't know why, because there was nothing like, uh, you know, you, uh, the family, and us, you know, having kids, there was nothing uh, 
like that in my family, and uh, but uh, just motivated by uh, uh, the sport being, you know, born and living the first 15 years of my life in Italy, and uh, the sport being so prominent uh, in Italy in the 50s, uh, obviously with the uh, current world champions, Ferrari, Maserati, Alfa Romeo, and all that. So capture my imagination, and, uh, and as soon as I saw the first Formula One race, in 1964, at age 14, uh, there was not a plan B for my life after that. that that's incredible. And, and if you don't mind, Mario, going back in time, I mean, from the, the early days, you said there wasn't anything like that in your in your family as far as racing. And uh, I, I received some, some information, some notes that I was, I've been reviewing. And if you don't mind just hitting on it, because you're such a – a phenomenal individual. I mean, you're, you're world known, and there's not, not a lot of people that are world known, you know. But uh, from 1948 to 1955, your, your family and the, kind of the start, from what I understand, of your racing, you folks were living in a refugee camp. Can you uh, explain how that shaped you as you grew up? Yes. I mean, I'll make it as quick as possible, obviously. <clears throat> I was born in 1940, pretty much when World War II started and uh italy was uh in the middle of that mess as you know and uh and so by the end of the war uh we were we were living the area we were living in the region i should say was the far northeast of italy and uh, since italy lost the war along with germany they had to give up some territory and uh and that's what happened they um uh, according to the Paris Pact of 1947, uh, that area was uh, annexed by Yugoslavia, thanks to uh, Russia, UK, and the U.S. <laughs> and um, so we had a choice as a family, like thousands and thousands of others, to succumb to communism and stay there. Um, and my dad was an uh, extensive uh, landowner. Um, you know, we had seven tenants and 2,100 acres of land, and they had to give everything up because everything was uh, back to the, you know, the state owned everything. So anyway, the choice was to, uh, to leave, uh, leave, and, uh, and there was uh, an agreement with Italy that they would uh, bring, they would allow these uh, uh, so-called refugees uh, to come in there and then and we wound up uh, in a refugee camp uh, in uh, Lucca in Tuscany. Uh, and uh, we were there from 1948 to 1955. That's incredible. So how, from that point, I, from what I've understood, that's where or right around that time you were exposed to some form of motorsports that well, – that are, 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 I have that wrong. No, you don't. <clears throat> but um, – you know, I got to tell you this story actually. Okay. Um, <laughs> when uh, when we arrived in the states, uh, two years after we arrived, and I arrived at age fifteen, age seventeen, we put a couple of buddies together, and uh, and we uh, uh, we started building a stock car to race locally. But uh, uh, and then we thought we'd have plenty of time. You know, we have like uh, until we were. Tw- you had to be twenty one. In those days to race professionally and the car was ready in 19 and uh but we said uh you know i had the date change of my license uh by uh, a local editor of the newspaper here in nazareth and uh but because we looked so young i had to uh, sort of fib a little bit and i used to tell everybody that aldo and i my twin brother um we raced in italy in formula junior and and uh, Chris Economac in those days picked that up, and then I, which was actually uh, was just a bold fib. It was a lie, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and I couldn't, Mike, I couldn't shake it for years. You know, <laughs> that I raced in Italy, you know, and and uh, my relatives in Italy said, "Oh, I don't remember you racing in Italy in Ancona." <laughs> so you know. Uh, like I said, you got to do what you got to do, right? <laughs> you sold your way to success with a little fib involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you know, we did, uh, you know, to look the part. Uh, you know, in those days, not everybody had uh, a racing suit on, you know. 
and we uh yeah we uh we order uh, racing suits from a place called Sala Sport in Milan. So Aldo had a blue suit. I had a white with all the zippers and everything. <laughs> we well, you, you, you got so to look the part to be the part, right? <laughs> we, <laughs> we looked the part. So that's the story about my racing in Italy. Well, that's outstanding. So, At that time. So there really was no racing in Italy, but it sounds as, as, as far as you Not know. Not at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's put that one to bed right now. All right. Well, we got that behind us. But what was the attraction? Where did the attraction come for motorsports while you were in Italy? Did Formula One racing? Did I mean... I heard you had hung out with some buddies at a repair shop or something like that, and yeah, yeah, so. that's really that's what it was. And uh, <clears throat> there was a a uh, repair and parking uh, across the, the square from uh, the so-called the, the camp was. The camp was actually used to be an old monastery and so forth. And the, and you know they uh, there were there was about uh, twelve hundred people there, and uh, from you know different parts of Istria. And, uh, but anyway, uh, and Aldo and I used to hang out there, and uh, we befriended the owners who were really nice. And that's where I learned how to drive. I was like 12 years old parking cars and doing burnouts. <laughs> Not doing burnouts. I'm sure the owners yeah. appreciated that because part of the story. No, the, owner, the owners loved that. It's good to see <laughs> But the, the, the owners of the cars probably, and, and well, they never knew that, obviously. But uh, every time I valet a car here, I wonder if they're doing the same thing that I used to do. Well, certainly you they know. are. They took it. <laughs> they got that image from Mario Andretti, uh, future race car drivers. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, <laughs> but that's really how it all. You know, it was pretty much like I said. Uh, we were hanging out there, and then uh, we expressed ourselves. You know, we just became interested through, um, you know, uh, magazines, and also, you know, in those days, uh, you didn't have television, but. Uh, um, you go to the movies, and they, they would have newsreels. Uh, the movies always there was an inter, uh, intermission, you know, between the film, you know, just to let the smoke out of the uh, the, the theater. And uh, and when they were resumed, they would have uh, newsreels from all over the world. And and of course, uh, at the top of the story was uh, Ferrari Maserati, you know, somewhere in any part of the world in Formula One and. That captured my imagination, of course, and uh, and uh, and so and when I saw my first Grand Prix uh, in 1954, a year before we came over, I mean that was uh, something that really, really uh, cemented, uh, you know, the idea. Obviously, seemed like such an impossible dream. Of course, uh, we didn't know what the future would hold, and uh, and even going to America, we had no idea. You know, my dad when. My dad actually applied for visas uh, through the. Uh, we had an uncle here in America who suggested that uh, if things don't get any better there, you know, why don't you come to America and and um, I will, uh, you know, guarantee whatever guarantees you have to do for a visa. And he applied for a visa in 1952. It took three years. And he, my dad almost forgot about it. And uh, the visas came through. And uh, when we were accepted, uh, my dad said, well, we're probably going to America maybe for five years and then come back. Well, you know. <laughs> Time will tell on that. So when he said that to you, when he said, okay, or told the family, however he did, we're going to go to America. What what was your thought? I mean, was it exciting? I, I, was it scary? Or I think all of it, you know, I had all the emotions because uh, – you know, at that time, uh, what do you know? I mean, at uh, age 15, 14, 15, um, you know, you know what you what you see and what you experience. And uh, um, the only thing that I knew, and I still have this uh, uh, the plaque here, um, in 1951, I was 11 years old, I saw a movie, a movie uh, which is uh, To Please a Lady with Clark Gable and Barbara Sandwich, which was about... Um, uh, you know, the, the Clark Cable became, uh, you know, going through the ranks in Indy cars and dirt tracks and into Indianapolis. And the, the title was, in Italian, was Indianapolis. And that's the only thing I knew about uh, racing in America. But also in 1954, when Bill Vukovic won Indianapolis, it was the first 500 that was won 
at over 120 miles an hour average, which in in kilometers, it's 200 plus kilometers. So, oh my God, there was a headline, and uh, and I says, oh wow, unbelievable, because you know the maximum on the speedometers on the, any of the high performance cars like a Romeo Lancers in Italy was. 200. I figured, oh my God, that was an average. So, you know, things like that, you know, as a kid, uh, you know, it, uh, it excites you, you know, and, uh, there were so many things that, but again, we only knew so much. I wanted to be a race driver in Italy. So going to America, I figured, oh man, my world is over. But, uh, I, I, I can tell you, uh, what took place once we, we arrived here on June 16th, 1955. It was, uh, a uh, beautiful June day when it was on a Thursday and we were hanging out at uh, my uncle's house and and actually actually it was my sister Anna Maria's 21st birthday we were sailing under the Statue of Liberty at five in the morning but anyway it was a Thursday we were hanging out uh, and uh, and on a Sunday the following Sunday um, in the evening uh, we see uh, lights in the background and a big roar of engines. This is three days after arriving here. And Aldo and I just looked at each other. We booked. We followed the noise. <laughs> and uh, and here was the, the local fairground that had modified stock cars. And we were looking through the fence and there. I said, oh, man, these things look, they don't look like Formula One cars, but they look looks pretty doable type of thing. And that's where we got the idea. Two years later, we put four buddies together and uh, and then and we started building a car. We built a house and we got uh, I'll tell you later, we we got the inform we I bought five hundred dollars worth of information from Marshall Pruitt, the team that had folded up. No it's huh? Oh Marshall Teague. Marshall Teague uh, Marshall Pruitt. Marshall Teague, yeah, and uh, and uh, and anyway, and then we built a forty-eight Hudson stock car. Forty-eight Hudson stock car. Well, hey, yeah, because uh, you know the 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 stock cars in those days were really strong. I mean, in in, in NASCAR, uh, the Hudsons were really strong, especially on on the dirt tracks. Uh, and uh, that's why we, one of, you know, one of our buddies suggested that. We don't, we, don't, we didn't know anything about it. I think they weighed about 5,000 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? The, the torsional stiffness was really what, that was a big plus. <clears throat> because, um, I mean, you could just uh, cross weight, you know, you held it all the way through. The car was really good. You could slide it around the outside and, uh, yeah, it worked for us. Beautiful. Let's take a break. We'll come right back, and I want to pick it up when we come back at that dirt track. We're talking to the legendary Mario Andretti. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speedsport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. What if I told you you can drive a full-size, open-wheel, open-cockpit, indie-style race car by yourself? Or take a ride along in a two-seat, indie-style race car with a professional racing instructor driving? Could happen for you. It's the Mario Andretti Racing Experience, the world's fastest driving experience. How much does it cost? Ride along, start at $129.99, and driving experiences start at $249.99. Make a reservation today and save up to 50%. Book online at andretti-racing.com, andretti-racing.com, or call customer service at 704-886-2400. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Oh, we're just getting started. The one and only Mario Andretti. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Mario, we were talking as we went to break about a 48 Hudson and a dirt track. And I'm assuming that dirt track had to be... In the Nazareth area, or what is the Nazareth racetrack? Because that's kind of where you ended up, from what I understand. So now I got to go back. Did you already have those race uniforms with you? You and Aldo already have those from that <laughs> supposedly no, no. driving experience you had in in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Okay. No, not at all. Not at all. 
No, no, okay. that, that came later. But uh, yeah, like I said, uh, we started building this thing, and uh, we thought uh, that we'd have plenty of time until we're 21. But it was uh, we were done. We were ready to race at age 19 in '59, and uh, and we befriended. Um, I used to hang out at uh, my uncle had a Sunoco gas station, and after school, my Aldo and I used to hang out there. We befriended lot of people and uh and uh we asked this gentleman to um to change the birth date on our license you know so so all of a sudden we became 21 wow you <laughs> aged progressively quickly then didn't you yeah <laughs> from yeah, 19 yeah. to 21 just like that <laughs> yeah that's how we started actually that i started that's when my career started and never looked back i mean never no interruption on, until officially um I came out of IndyCars in 1994, but my last professional race was in 2000 at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Uh, you you have nothing but an incredible career. So as you you and Aldo started early in the dirt car at 48 Hudson, and so what was the next step after? And how long did you stick around the 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 48 Hudson era? And then where did you go uh, progressing in your career? Well. Quickly, um, I uh, obviously <clears throat> I had to wait until 21 to progress out of uh, uh, the stock car. So I raced in uh, in 1959 and 60, uh, raced uh, and locally as uh, Nazareth, as Nazareth, Flemington, um, and Mahoney Valley. There were like three different tracks that uh, we were racing every week. Aldo, Aldo, and I uh, would uh, you know. Uh, you know, he, he would drive one week and I would drive the next weekend and all that. So we had to share. Uh, but um, uh, then after that, for me, I, I wanted to get into uh, open wheel. I wanted to get into midgets and uh, and somehow we uh, and 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 I, uh, um, you know, we we I found a way to to, to buy. Actually, it was uh, uh, what became my wife, uh, her dad invested in a three-quarter midget and i bought a three-quarter midget that um to run three-quarter midgets in the winter uh locally well in new york and you know long island uh, and new jersey teaneck new jersey and uh that was golden for me because uh uh there i won the the biggest race of the season which was a hundred lapper at um teaneck and uh that this was in 1961 and uh, uh, and the guy that finished second was Len Duncan, who was you know one of the top midget drivers. Period. And then that got me a ride into a full size midget, an ARDC, which was a great uh, midget club. I was in the East, but uh, you know it used to be you know I mean, used to be very competitive with the, all the USAC stars when they used to come East. So that was really good for me. Yeah. I did some sprint sprint cars. In the URC United Racing Club, but uh, I could never get a decent ride there for some reason. They always thought that uh, physically I was too small to to handle a sprint car, which really used to fire me up. But uh, uh, the midgets were really, really helped me. Uh, they launched me. I actually um, did something good in 1963. I won three ra- three feature races in one day on Labor Day 1963, and uh, and I, I'll never forget that uh, uh, at, at, at the end of the, when I was cooling down at the end of the last race with the third feature, uh, Chris Economaki was the uh, the announcer in Hatfield. And uh, he says, uh, you know, there was shrilling voice of Mario, you just won the ticket to the big time. You know, that was. You do a good impersonation of uh, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I, I could still hear it. You, you know, if you, you know? don't, if you'll let me say this, we, uh, as we are recording this, we do it out of the Speed Sports Studios. So that was oh. Chris Account, National Speed Sport News, was his newspaper yes. back in the day. Yes. Well, that was our Bible. You yeah. know that. Y- yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was our vibe. Hey, let me back up just for a second, if you don't mind. I, I know where you got to the midges, but when you came to the U.S., did did you speak English, understand English? Because I, it seems to me, I'm just I'm playing this in my head, and it's like, boy, this is a big move. And 
you were so successful actually really quickly after you guys figured out how to change your age that uh, <laughs> how did you relate? I mean, or did you learn English quickly? Well, here's the thing. Uh, Aldo and I, uh, we, we had three years of English. Uh, we took up English while we were in school in Italy. And I must tell you, the educational system in those days especially was much more advanced than here. Uh, and, uh, and so I had learned the grammar pretty well. You know, at least, you know, uh, was very handy. And um, the best part is that uh, we arrived here at the beginning of summer. And uh, again, as I told you, uh, Aldo and I just used to hang out at... Uh, Monkel's gas station, and you know we had uh, we were able to uh, you know to to mingle and you know talk to a lot of people, and they were all a lot of, very curious, you know the kids from Italy and all that sort of thing, and uh, and that was very beneficial, and and so by the time that uh, we enrolled went to school, um, we had a fairly good idea, you know, uh, about the language and uh, and having pretty good understanding of the grammar helped us as well so uh and the objective when i arrived i i even told my english teacher I said by christmas i want to be able to speak to you fluently you know so we had the object, objective we figured to be able to uh to exist here in the country properly you gotta be able to speak the language and uh and you know we were fairly successful and uh, it seemed like it, it came fairly natural to us well, that's outstanding. So I, I go f now. We'll jump back to Chris Economaki because, and I apologize for going back and forth. But so when Chris Economaki told Mario or told you that, you know, you've done well. What 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 took place from that point forward? Well, you know, it's nothing like if if Chris Economaki, if you know that as well. I do. If he recognized you, if he um, pay some attention to what you were doing, then the word was out. And that's what you needed. That's what I needed. So um, I think from there, it does. Uh, I, I picked up a ride in a USAC sprint car, and uh, with the Rufus Gray in Indianapolis, and uh, and that was uh, again a big turning point. You know, my career to try to uh, you know to, to try to get to the top level at the time, which was uh, the champ cars and you know the Indy cars. Uh, so. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, and because in '64 is uh, the following year, is when I got um, the, my biggest, uh, you know, I got the ride in USAC, and then uh, there again, you know, I uh, uh, later that actually before Indianapolis, um, I won the um, uh, the hundred lapper in Salem, Indiana, and uh, all the guys, you know, Foyt was there, Parnelli. McCluskey, Hunters, you know, all the top guys, you know, USAC guys. And for me, winning that, that didn't hurt me at all, you know. So, um, uh, and and then when when the Chuck Hulse got hurt, uh, it was with Dean Van Lines. Um, uh, somebody, you know, there were some people there trying to uh, talk to Clint Bronner to, why don't you give this kid a try, you know. And as a matter of fact, uh, uh, yeah, Clint Bronner needed a driver. And the test that happened in Trenton, uh, it was the choice that he had to make was either me or Roger Penske, believe it or not. Roger, really? You know, <laughs> driving, yeah. And uh, we talk about it. <laughs> Roger always says that. You know, you you can thank me for that because uh, luckily, he, I think they would have taken him because he had more experience like in sports cars and so forth. And you know what I mean? He was much better known than me. And, uh, but um, luckily, he had uh, a commitment. You know, he was always at something going. And they couldn't make the test. So that's what opened it up for me. <laughs> and there was the Firestone test, which was, uh, it was phenomenal because uh, Roger Ward and uh, Pernelli Jones were there testing. And, uh, and you know, so I was competitive uh, with, with them. Uh, but earlier... Earlier that year, I got my first ride in Indy cars with uh, Doug Sturley, um, which was, um, you know, I used to um, field uh, uh, an Indy car. And, uh, and actually, the guy that drove that car before me was Troy Rutman. And I drove that in Trenton early, which was the first race of the 
my second race of the season. And so when I, the test came on uh, later in the summer, I at least I had some feel for Trenton, and that was pretty good. So that's when I got my steady ride. Uh, it's an in- incredible rise and a pretty quick rise. For So when when you got that steady ride, what, what did it do for you? I, and I kind of think I understand what this would do, but what, how did it become – Mario Andretti, the race car driver. When you, when you finally had the steady ride, did um, well, did everything? You know, you know, you have objectives, obviously. And uh, for me at the time, uh, as far as in the states here, I wanted to the top for me is to be in the IndyCar at that level. Uh, the top was IndyCars or NASCAR, and uh, and I chose uh, the IndyCar route because. Uh, you know, thinking Formula One, I always wanted to, uh, you know, to do something sim- similar to that. And uh, so arriving at that level, it was, uh, you know, <laughs> the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And uh, so I did uh, just a, a couple of races uh, in 64 because uh, I wanted to maintain my rookie status for the following year. And I had a, a finished uh, a third. I had a third that year in Phoenix, which was actually very good for me. But uh, the following year, I was a rookie at Indy to finished third there. And then I won my, my very first year in the IndyCar. I won the championship, national championship. So, uh, uh, and I backed, it up, I backed it up the following year in, in, uh, in 66. You know, I won a national championship as well. So, um, again, yeah, things started really clicking you know, but, you know, being with the top team, like uh, uh, the Dean Van Lines with Clint Brown or Jim McGee, um, you know, it, it, I had the element, you know, behind me, as you know. Uh, Jim uh, McGee, that, be, was, that was a famous name, wasn't it? Jim McGee from back in the day. Yeah, but that. Well, we were both basically rookies together. He was uh, he was a young rookie uh, chief mechanic, and, uh, and then we had, uh, uh, you know, the – the real, you know, notable and experienced uh, Clint Bronner. Uh, so there were, I had the best of both worlds. You know, I had the, the wisdom and experience of Clint Bronner along with uh, uh, Jim McGee, more modern thinking and uh, want to take some risks uh, along with me also. And, and those, those two guys were golden for me. I tell you, it's amazing. They never put any pressure on me, if anything, taking pressure off because they wanted me to, to survive the sport. <laughs> well, that was awful nice of them. Mario, yeah. <laughs> in those days, as the driver, were you did you have much or any input into the car, like things or changes they would make, or did you just drive what they gave you? And, and no, you know, no, no, no. I, I, let me tell you, Mike, uh, one thing I learned really, really early on, it was to my interest to learn as much as possible about the dynamics of any race car, what the race car wants, uh, how to look for the sweet spot. You know, the, the race car is a tool that you can really, if you can make it talk to you, um, it, it can make it a lot easier. And uh, that's one thing that uh, really worked for me. So I was, uh, I was in it uh, with both feet. And what helped me tremendously was... Uh, uh, so many miles that uh, I got with uh, testing tires for Firestone because in those days that's when the uh, the tire war was was alive between Firestone and Goodyear and IndyCars and the companies were were testing cons- you know constantly <clears throat> to improve the product because it was such a heated competition you know and uh, and I benefited tremendously as a driver because I had the luxury of trying a lot of things uh, <clears throat> and understanding, you know, as much as possible what happens. So, yeah, I mean, uh, going back to your question, uh, I was really in it. And uh, and working with guys uh, with that much experience, like Clint Bronner, for instance, at least I was getting good basic setups and then going from there. But, uh, uh, yeah, I... Uh, 
I, I used to pay a lot of attention to that. Okay, great. Let's take a break. We'll come right back and pick up from that point. You've got to become one with the race car, Mike. Yes. We're yes. talking to the legendary Mario Andretti. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. One of the most successful Americans in the history of motorsports, Mario Andretti on the line. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Mario, so uh, I was recapping what you said about the car basically talking to you, you talking to the car. So you're really in tune to the chassis, the dynamics of the race car. You won those championships, and uh, you were you're very versed in everything. But what was your next step out of winning those championships? What, where did you uh, – what opportunities were presented by that at that time? Well, uh, I had some objectives uh, career-wise, obviously. Uh, there's nothing like being able to – uh, win a championship, uh, you know, early on, uh, and um, and then be able to, uh, you know, look to broaden your, you know, uh, uh, your dimension, if you will, you know. And, uh, and I, I was very curious. I think ultimately, always, always, I had in back of my mind to uh, uh, to to have a chance at Formula One, and um, and I think um, uh, what happened is uh, uh, right at the very well, at the banquet after the uh, uh, my rookie race in '65 at Indianapolis, um, Jim Clark won the race. I finished third. Colin Chapman of Lotus was there, obviously, and uh, we were saying our goodbyes because I befriended them. Uh, I made sure that I would do that during <laughs> the month of May, and uh, and I told Colin, I said, Colin, <clears throat> I would like to do Formula One someday. And he says to me, Mario, when you think you're ready, you call me and I'll have a car for you. Now, Mike, can you imagine what that did for me, you know? So, uh, you, you weren't still able to even put that same helmet back on after that, <laughs> were you? Yeah. You, you <laughs> I mean, I, what a motivation that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No question. And, uh, and that's when I, I started lobbying like crazy, even to USAC to, uh, to do get into some road racing. As a matter of fact, in in '65, uh, the only there was only one road race, uh, you know, in the championship trail, and I won that. And uh, I go back even in midget ARDC had one road race in Lime Rock, Connecticut, and I won that one. So uh, road racing was the objective for me also. And uh, so what do I do then? I had a great relationship with Ford. You know, we, uh, uh, through uh, my, you know, beginning of uh, the IndyCar career, we, uh, at Indy, we started with the new Ford engine, the double air cam engine and everything. And, and so when we were winning, that's a good thing. And we win the championship, you know, and the Ford power. So, and that's how I was able to uh, uh, latch on with them. And the, the Le Mans program was coming on, you know, the big objective for uh, Henry Ford to win Le Mans. And uh, and so they they needed drivers and uh, and I expressed a desire and and I got in through all the testing you know which was golden for road racing you know I was learning a lot because uh, I mean we're doing uh, <laughs> thousands of miles of testing and I befriended um, uh, Bruce McLaren you know he, he was one of the drivers and he and I became really good friends and I and and I. I used to really watch his techniques. Uh, he was very technical driver, and um, and I, I learned a lot from him, even talking and so forth. So, in '68, uh, at the end of the season, that's when I called Colin Chapman and says, uh, "You know, you got to remember in '67, I had already won Daytona the five months, so I had a, some taste of uh, stock cars because I did some stock cars in in USAC as well, which were they had a series stock car series in USAC." And they were the same, basic, same uh, uh, rules, you know, as, as NASCAR. So I had some feel for those things. And uh, Hey, can I ask uh, you a question about that day, that Daytona 500 win? I, yeah. uh, you know, talking to people, again, since uh, 
I told everybody you were going to be on the show. I, I literally, I mean, hundreds of stories have come out. People emailing me, sending me. Did when you won the Daytona 500, you were driving a Ford, if I was told right, and yeah, you were teammates. I'm Moody. But were, were you the the choice driver to win the race? Was there? A, did you did you thrill? Holman, Moody, and Ford Motor Company by being the winner of that race, or were, were they wanting a teammate or something to win? I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I, I heard the, I, the, I know. <laughs> I know where you're going with that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Someone told me the only person that could tell that story right was Mario Andretti. So, uh, <laughs> Well, you know, the way things were working out, you know, finally, like in, in – in the race, I was really competitive, you know, and, uh, I mean, I, I led more than half the race, you know, on and off. And, uh, the, the bottom line is we're coming down to, uh, to, to the last, uh, after the last pit stop, basically. And, um, it was between, uh, Freddie Lorenzen and myself. And, um, uh, and somehow, you know, we, we come in, I was leading and I come in, he was running second and then they kept me on the jacks and they put some, uh, <laughs> some blocks in the you know in the front springs which i didn't need <laughs> uh they, they thought that i needed to do something but they what they wanted to do is let freddie go out first and uh and uh anyway uh kind of i was pretty upset because it was already in turn one before they released me and but i caught up and uh and i passed them because you know in those days you know you could draft and and it was pretty easy to pass, but you couldn't, but I couldn't shake them. There's no way I could shake them. And, uh, and I think the whole thing worked out amazing. Like, um, we're coming up to lap, um, tiny Lund, and, uh, the gentleman that he was come out of turn two and, uh, he went to the center of the track and he, he pointed for me to go by on the right side, on the outside. And I went right up to him and then I, I just, I went to the left and, uh, I think this startled Freddie because he must've backed off. And because I, when I came out on the other side, I could hardly see him in a mirror. You know, <laughs> he was pretty small and yeah. he, he never caught up to me because I was driving like I was qualifying, you know? So, uh, basically I don't blame Ford at the time. We had some, uh, I had some fun with the Ford management later on. Uh, John Cowley and so forth, the guys who were making that decision. Uh, because uh, for them, it was more of an interest, since we were running first and second, to have Freddie win. I mean, he was the golden boy of NASCAR at the time, you know. And uh, so, uh, uh, anyway, uh, they didn't celebrate a lot with me, but Firestone did. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the same way. I'm very proud of you for that. And I'm uh, the story, I it. it lines up with what i heard so you're a race car driver you're out there to win the race right yeah so i, I apologize <laughs> oh. for dropping or stopping there but let's go back to uh to colin in in the formula one day you would call him and you because you won daytona and now you're ready to go formula one racing yeah yeah and uh, i wanted to do the last two races of the season which was the italian grand prix and the u.s grand prix and uh so he gave me a test in uh in Italy and Monza, and I went really well. I uh, I felt very, very, uh, I don't know, at ease very much immediately in the Formula One car. And, uh, and there was a stipulation there. However, since I was running for the championship, 68 again, um, I was leading the championship and, uh, in Indy cars. I said uh, there was a a dirt race, dirt track race at uh, the Hoosier 100, which was actually the burst, the, the biggest dirt race of the year for us. And uh, I said, uh, I said uh, I'll qualify Friday, come to the States, run Saturday, and come back Sunday to run the Grand Prix. And it was all agreed because there was a 24-hour rule. And this was, uh, they were, I was in deficient by about three hours, but it was all agreed by... Um, the race promoter, Bacigalupi, and and uh, and the arm of uh, the FIA also, and uh, so that's what we did. And then uh, I got Bobby Answer a ride in a BRM, so we could do some slipstreaming 
qualifying because uh, I know that my teammates were not going to help me. So uh, anyway, um, I, I, we ran in those days, by the way, in those days, every practice period, the time counted for qualifying. You could set your quickest time, you know, on Friday or Saturday, it didn't matter. And uh, I really went for it. Obviously, Friday morning, we could only do one practice, one practice uh, session. And uh, and I was, you know, I was uh, way, way ahead in the time, but I knew it wasn't going to hold. Nevertheless, uh, we, uh, my, uh, Bobby and I come to, back to the States. I finished second to Foyt at Ujjahnard, back on a plane. We get to the track about an hour and a half before the start of the race on Sunday in Monza, and uh, there was a protest. My car was already on the grid, and I, uh, my time was still good enough for seventh, and, uh, and I was very happy about that. And there was a protest. And later on, you know, I found out, I mean, there was Ferrari protests, believe it or not, because I was quickest, quicker than their, than the Chris Amon who tested before me a couple of weeks before. So, uh, and they won't let me start the race. And so, uh, two weeks later, we were at Watkins Glen, which was my second race. And, uh, and I put the car on pole there next to uh, Jackie Stewart. So... That was a very auspicious beginning for me. Uh, we had a clutch problem in the race. Uh, I didn't finish the race. I was running second to to, to Jackie, however, um, because I, I just needed to follow somebody fast, you know. Yeah. To, so going back to that Monza race, why? What was the reason for not letting you race? Because they uh, they they looked at the the rule. You know, the rule was uh, was clear that uh, you could not race. Because uh, USAC was under international rules, the FIA rules as well. But I was promised both by the FIA and the organizers were going to waive the rule. Oh, the 24-hour rule. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was – but uh, apparently uh, McCollin Chapman was in at the meeting and and, uh, <laughs> and he said everybody was speaking Italian and they wouldn't allow, <laughs> allow me in a meeting. They would not allow me in a meeting. Which uh, you know I could have said my piece, but uh, yeah. So, so you had to fear in them, is what happened. So they just well, I don't know. <laughs> you, if you're gonna, fear, but you're somehow, gonna run them <laughs> somehow. Uh, you know, it uh, it didn't play, but uh, I was actually it was really upsetting because we went through. I mean, you can imagine, you know, the travel back and forth and run a genre and go back. Sure, uh, we made a big effort, and uh, but anyway, uh, nevertheless, uh, you know. Uh, my very first Formula One experience, you know, put the car on pole, you know, at uh, uh, at Watkins Glen. So that was really satisfying. That was a incredibly incredible. I think you wouldn't you say that, Jeff? I would say that. Yeah. You mentioned Jackie Stewart. Who were some of the other big names racing Formula One at that time? Well, you know, Graham Hill. You know, Jackie Stewart. I mean, all, all the top guys of the moment they were yeah. all there. I mean, that's uh, yeah. So after that Watkins Glen race and the year progresses on, where 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 does Mario go next, or what what happens next in the career? Well, I you know obviously Indy cars primarily, and then I did quite a bit of sports cars. Uh, you know, with um, Ferrari, we won. You know, uh, I won several races uh, with Jack Eakes as my uh, even won Daytona. Uh, Jack Eakes is my partner. I won Italian at uh, a thousand Ks with Alfa Romeo. Uh, you know, I was just moving around. I just did a, a lot of Formula 5000 races. I did two years. I finished second in the championship both years there because uh, um, I had a lot of failures, but I won, a, I, I won almost every race that I finished. What was a Formula 5000 car? I've heard that, but I, I don't know what it is. What? Well, it was actually uh, like a Formula One with the uh, with the American engines. Okay. You know, basically Chevy engine in, in mind, and it was really a great car. Actually, um, actually, the cars were uh, my my car was faster than the current Formula One cars at the time. We had more power. And uh, it was really a satisfying car to drive. 
but uh, had a small fuel tank, so they the races were uh, two 100 milers. You know, they had two heat races instead of one longer race. Uh, but um, like in '71, I won my very first Formula One race in South Africa. Uh, I was driving part time with Ferrari. Then I won uh, a couple weeks later. I won the Equestria Grand Prix. I won both heats. That's uh, I won the first three races in Formula One with Jackie Stewart finished second to me, you know. So I had, uh, you know, greater satisfaction just from, you know, being able to uh, finish. Uh, you you know, beat the best, absolutely. Yeah. World champion at the time. So right. yeah. Uh, Let's take a break and we'll come right back. We'll bring it home after this. We're talking to the legendary Mario Andretti. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. What if I told you you can drive a full-size, open-wheel, open-cockpit, indie-style race car by yourself? Or take a ride along in a two-seat, indie-style race car with a professional racing instructor driving? Could happen for you. It's the Mario Andretti Racing Experience, the world's fastest driving experience. How much does it cost? Ride along, start at $129.99, and driving experiences start at $249.99. Make a reservation today and save up to 50%. Book online at andretti-racing.com, andretti-racing.com, or call customer service at 704-886-2400. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. A few more laps with the legendary Mario Andretti. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Jeff Kent, exactly what was happening that I thought would happen. We're going to run out of time before long because what an incredible <laughs> career. But uh, maybe we can ha- get Mario to hang on for an extra minute or two. But so, Mario, after you're talking about running uh, additional Formula One races, and just take me from there. You you tell the story. Well, like I said, that the objective then was uh, ultimately I felt that I needed to give uh, Formula One uh, a chance to uh, give myself a chance in Formula One full time because uh, things were going so well for me in IndyCars and so forth, and it was hard to to leave. You know, but uh, I had great opportunities. Uh, could have, uh, you know, I was invited to join Ferrari, you know, after I won a couple of races for them early. But I, I, I couldn't afford to leave, you know, even, uh, uh, you know, f- uh, f- from the the, stand- the standpoint of, uh, I mean, you know, the, the earning power that was, uh, was so much greater here. So I had to, you know, to be mindful of that from standpoint of the family security in the family and all that but uh anyway at one point i figured i gotta do formula one full time and uh, that's and that's when i decided we decided in 1975 it's a long story but uh uh, uh we put together an american team which was with uh, parnelli jones and so forth uh, uh part of their team and uh and it, it was it, it was not incredibly successful you know uh we we only have i mean the best finish we had that year was like a, a fourth but um then i joined lotus the following in 70 and 76 no 75 i joined lotus what let me say 75 yeah i'm trying to think here somewhere right uh, in that area yeah yeah and uh and Things started really happening there, you know, with, uh, uh, so, uh, you know, in 75, 76, 77, you know, won a lot of races, 78, you know, obviously, uh, finally, you know, we were finishing some of the races that I was leading and, uh, we won a championship. Um, and, uh, my last race, uh, might have Less competitive race in Formula One was in '82 when I uh, was already out of Formula One. I was already back in the States, and um, and I uh, I substituted for uh, you know Ferrari had a terrible year. They lost two drivers that year, and uh, I had to substitute uh, Didier Pironi in Monza. I put the car on pole, 
and I finished third there. I was leading, but I had a, a, a turbocharger pack up on my le- on the left bank. And anyway, but things things were going well. And then when I came back to the states, um, I joined. You know, we uh, put together a team with Paul Newman, Carl Haas, and I won 18 more uh, IndyCar races with them. Um, at age 53, I won. You know, I think I was the oldest driver to win an IndyCar race in uh, 1994, uh, age 54. Uh, decided to, it was time, you know, and uh, and I was, you know, just uh, thankful that uh, uh, I, <laughs> I, I dodged enough bullets, you know, to still be able to, to, <laughs> to be here. Uh, and, you know, it's amazing. Uh, Mike, uh, you know, every time AJ and I see each other, we looked at each other and said, I can't believe we're still standing. <laughs> well, you, you just mentioned another incredible name, AJ Foyt. I had the pleasure to run uh, about six races for AJ when he owned a cup team in his final year owning a, a cup car. And so uh, I was talking to Larry Foyt the other day, and I was telling him I was going to have you on the show. And he goes, Oh my God. I can't tell AJ that he'll be upset. He'd he'd rather be on your show before Mario. <laughs> I says, well, he says, man, what what an incredible person you are. So, you know, we're. I think you brought us up to kind of current. I mean, in the racing world, you, in that IndyCar with Newman and Paul Newman and Carl Haas, and that you you were the. The man, as we call it. You won a lot of races. I remember a time, this has nothing to do with racing, but this is how cool I think you are. Is that one year or two years, you guys had some sponsor, some uh, designer clothing where Alexander Julian or somebody like that name was on your collar. And that was a big talk early in the year because you guys had the coolest looking uniforms. And, uh, yeah. So Yeah, it was a great experience with, uh, you know, with, with, Paul and, and Carl. I mean, uh, uh, it was a that was the longest uh, stint I had with any team. That was twelve seasons. That's a long time, and uh, and uh, we had phenomenal time together. You know. So so we're gonna fast forward till kind of what I call today in, in today's world of Mario Andretti. I uh, after your driving career, it, it appears from what I can read and understand and talk to people that all that success you had on the racetrack you just didn't stop as being a professional race car driver. You become quite an influential businessman since that time uh, in a various amount of different businesses. How, how did, how did the business world progress from racing? Well, you know, there has to be a life after racing, but uh, my life in racing continues. I mean, uh, we're having Michael involved and, uh, you know, with his teams and, and his ambitions, you know, to expand, he's pretty much everywhere with that. And uh, that gives me more reason to be, to stay close to the sport, which I always will. I love all of it. And, uh, I mean, I can go to a NASCAR race. I feel that uh, I have a family there. I can go to a sports car race, the same thing, Formula One. And uh, and it's a great feeling to be able to uh, to, to, to say that and, have it, and, and, and uh, having friendships all over. So... Yeah, racing is still my world. Uh, obviously, uh, we have uh, businesses outside of the sport, which uh, I think uh, we expanded. Uh, I think it was necessary to some degree. I think it was uh, something that um, uh, a great challenge to be able to, to see if we can be successful there, which uh, fortunately we have. We have good businesses. And uh, so between all of it, um, I, you know, seem like I, I retired. A lot of people think I'm retired. I'll never retire. I, I think you know, you're busier than so, you were when you were driving, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm traveling as much and uh, just about as much. And uh, and then I have so many things uh, on my plate that uh, things that I like, which is uh, I think I've been very fortunate. You know, my entire uh, professional uh, life, uh, I, I've been able to do things that I thoroughly enjoy. So. You know, the old saying, if you really love your work, you never work a day in your life. So I really don't feel like I've worked any uh, work today in my life. I've just been, uh, it's just been uh, uh, just a great ride, and it continues to be so. Uh, and uh, I'll keep riding. 
Well, beautiful. And, and one of the current things I think you got coming up, and correct me if I'm saying this right or wrong, uh, since that Indy 500 winning car you had back in 1969, uh, I understand, you know, normally a driver ends up with the car, the owner had stored somewhere, but I understand that car kind of disappeared from you. And it's going to reappear here in October at the Smithsonian Institute. Can you can you tell anybody about what's going on there? Yes, yes. I mean, yeah, at, uh, after I won Indy, Andy Granatelli donated the car to the Smithsonian, and they had it on display for something like 25 years or so, and then, uh, and it was still on display, but not on the main floor, and uh, and so now it's, they have uh, they're reviving uh, the uh, Museum of Speed, and uh, and and bringing back uh, you know the events of uh, of the late 60s, like uh, uh, the technology going to the moon and 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 all of that, all that sort of thing. And, and they, uh, they're including, uh, I think, uh, from the sport of motorsports, that it's going to be a Richard Petty's car and my car on display uh, for the next, I don't know how long, I think the, the next display is another 10 or 15 years, I think. Uh, and uh, so it's about to open that, that part of uh, the Smithsonian. Uh, it's about to open uh, uh, on October 14th, I think. And uh, and so that that's exciting. Uh, I'm going to go there to see it. Obviously, as you can imagine, I'm very proud of that. So um, yeah, it's uh, no better place to be than be displayed the Smithsonian. How uh, about that? that that's about as famous as and. Uh, and uh... What an honor. I think that that's the biggest thing. What an honor, you know, to be recognized for all your contributions to being a human being and to motorsports is amazing. And uh, as as we end up here, I, I feel that I need to ask because you've kind of been the face in the last, oh, X number of months, I'll say it that way, three to four months, about the in interest of uh should we say, Michael or Michael Mario or Andretti Global to go Formula One racing. Indeed. And I, I've heard uh, you are kind of the face person, you, or at least the articles I've read. I uh, I see you out there. How, is there any insight on that? I mean, I heard uh, some of the F1 world wasn't real keen on Mario Andretti or the Andretti name coming racing. But, man, what what uh, an asset you would be to the series. Well, you know, we're trying. We're working on it every single day. Uh, Michael's, uh, I'm so proud of Michael's ambition and uh, the individuals involved with him uh, to just, uh, you know, to feel the Formula One team. Uh, and uh, and here again, you know, he just, uh, he, 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 you know, he wants, he wants to do it all in the sport. That's our business. You, you guys are global domination in motorsports, aren't you? You got a car running and everything, or a vehicle running and yeah, everything. Yeah, he's got a Formula. Yeah, yeah, Formula E. He's got a, a supercar in Australia, um, and um, you know, a team there and so forth. And and so, why not Formula One? You know, so um, yeah, I just uh, hope they, you know, that we have. Uh, you know, we're trying to meet every requirement that they put in front of us, and. Uh, and I don't know what else to do, you know. And uh, uh, some people there think we're not credible enough. Well, uh, quite honestly, I mean, it's been our life. Uh, that's all we know, and uh, and that's what we want to continue doing. You know, we're we're there for the long pull, you know. Uh, so uh, I I I think um, again, you know, I think ultimately, I think we should be able, you know, we should be able to be accepted. I hope. You would think so. I mean, your resume speaks for itself. But think about this, too. I mean, since since Michael's retirement from driving, from active racing, Andretti has owned Andretti Autosports, which has won four IndyCar Series championships and five Indianapolis 500s. What credentials do you need to get into <laughs> Formula One if that's where you want to head next? Yeah. Well, some some team members in Formula One... <laughs> Uh, they they said that we're only an American brand, but between Michael and I, we won at least one race in six continents. You know, so we've been around. You know, and uh, I'd say that's again, a global brand. You know, we've been, yeah, we've been very fortunate. You know, to to be in the sport for so long and being so fortunate again 
you know, to have some uh, good satisfaction, good success, and that's what we work for. That's uh, that's our ultimate goal to be continue to be there and and uh, and contribute. And the sport has been fabulous to us um, in, many, in in every way. We have uh, between Aldo and I there. There are eight members of this family that uh, has been in the sport and still, you know, we have third generation in the sport. So that's it. I mean, uh, <laughs> it doesn't get any better than Mario Andretti's life, Jeff. Oh, and when you hear the name Andretti, boom. Oh, yeah. I just you think of racing. See, you know? I, I've been paying attention to a lot of the, their conversation in Formula One here recently. They've recently announced they're going to build a big new shop. Oh, yeah. You know, up, yeah. before that in Indiana. They, uh, you know, it's just, I'm excited. I hope it all happens. I think, uh, are you still the spokesman for Coda for the Formula One race since we're talking Formula One? Well, not, not officially, but I always will be, you know, because uh, I love to, um, you know, to see them succeed, which they are. And uh, it's a great venue uh, for us uh, to, uh, to, you know, to host the, the USGP. And of course, you know, you have Miami now, which was, uh, incredibly successful this past may and then next year you're gonna have uh, las vegas so uh three grand prix which is unprecedented really in these united states uh so uh why not having another uh another u.s team with uh, at least one u.s driver uh, you know, so i agree with that in... to do. here is my uh, my opinion real quick for you on that formula one world okay I uh, I was reading about the Red Bull thing where Porsche is not going to go with them. So I would like to see Porsche with Andretti Global go to F1 Racing. And uh, since your buddy Roger Penske, back in the day, he's got the Porsche deal, you guys need to work together and make that happen. And then you can invite Jeff Kent and I <laughs> to come to the inaugural F1 race. I think I could probably fit that in my calendar. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, you're on. No problem. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, Mario, I don't. We don't want to take any more of your time, but we can only thank you so much for taking the time you spent with us and our listeners. And uh, what a great story! What a great person! What a great family! Nothing but congratulations. You're you're a hero. Yeah, very kind. You're very kind, Mike. Thank you so much. Thanks for thanks for uh, inviting me in. Well, and enjoy that Nation of Speed exhibit at the Smithsonian. That is, I hear awesome. he's got a pretty yeah. good wine too. Pretty is good brand right? of wine. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mario Andretti. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.